We've been talking a lot so far in this programme by the Green Party and how their future is somewhat uncertain. And whatever about their future, its past is certainly fairly fascinating as well. It was born not as the Green Party, but rather as the Ecology Party, and then later became the Green Alliance. And to some degree, its story is kind of entangled with the bigger picture of 1980s Ireland. And there have been rumours of its demise on more than one occasion before. It's always turned out to be greatly exaggerated, but their history does include TDs who have been arrested, some important campaigns, and a little bit more besides. And Donald Fallon is with us to tell us more about it. Donald, good afternoon. How are you? Good to be here. Good to be here. And happy Father's Day to you and everyone in your clan. Um, There is an Irish history to Green politics long before the existence or the emergence of the Green Party or the Ecology Party. Yeah, environmental politics and activism in Ireland has a history. Now, it's not a particularly long history, to be honest, but there is a history. And most Irish politics in the 20th century, of course, was dominated by the question of questions, the national question and the national picture. But it's worth saying that, you know, for some people, their radicalisation wasn't Belfast. It was, you know, Cairnsaw Point, the the Irish Mm. Woodstock, the anti-nuclear movement. And I think other people were brought to green politics through things like campaigns against, you know, road widening, overdevelopment in Dublin. You know, for Kieran Cuff, it was the students against the destruction of Dublin. Mm. So there is a history of environmentalism and, and, and green activism uh, in Ireland. And this party, which has had many, many different forms so far and has gone on an incredible journey, is really at the heart of that story. I'm trying to think, the Irish Woodstock sounds familiar. Did you describe the Carnesore Point and some of the festivals there in one of the recent slots in the last couple of weeks? It, it sounds very familiar. It was an incredible movement, you know, of, of uh, I guess it was young people uh, on paper concerned by nuclear power, but I think in reality it was as much about having a good time as anything else. And yeah. It was known, one year it was get to the point, Carnesore Point, and the following year, it was back to the point. But it, it, it was very much a, a celebration of activism uh, and music. Well, like if the mutual goals of uh, anti-nuclearisation and also good times kind of mutually aligned, then happy <laughs> days for everyone. Um, so they originally launched back in 1982 as the Ecology Party, but it wasn't a particularly big launch. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't the most exciting party launch ever. You know, there were, there were uh, seven candidates in the room in 1982. Uh, less than two dozen supporters and a single journalist who showed up to cover to cover things. And that says a lot about Irish politics in, in the 1980s, as opposed to people didn't take this particularly seriously. And the journalist recalled it as, quote, the nicest and most endearingly honest press conference of the whole campaign. But in that election, and it was it, it was a bit of, you know, it was a bit of a leap into the into the fire to, to run for the first time in a general election and not a local election. Mm. They took 0.2 percent uh, of the vote. But it should be said that the Ecology Party, or what became the Green Party, it was a kind of early bloomer in, 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 in world context. I mean, the US Greens have their origins in 1984. So two years later, and 62 people showed up at their first meeting. So, you know, wow. given, given population differences, the Irish did OK. But it says a lot about the, the, the interest or perhaps the lack of interest in green politics uh, in, in the 1980s on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, pro rata, it's actually, it's a decent turnout having seven candidates uh, if, if two years before the Greens managed to get only 62 people. Um, obviously, the econo- or the ecology and environmental issues, they're, don't just tr- they're, they're not just bound within national borders. They have a big global aspect to them. And the Greens were, were very much looking further afield for inspiration. Very much. I mean, the shining light of green politics in, in the 1980s was the Grunen, the, the, the German Greens, who won an absolutely stunning 27 seats, which is 6% of the national vote to the Bundestag in 1983. And I think the reason was that people in, in, in Germany on both sides of the wall and the division were fearful of you know, the potential of nuclear war. So I think that was the, the, the big thing that drove green politics mm. in Germany. NATO had a presence on, on West German soil as well. And I think the fear of nuclear war lingered. And amazingly, the German Greens, the Grünen, increased that vote to 8.3% in 1987. I mean, they were dizzy, dizzy heights 
but a politics that a lot of people around the world regarded as, as not very serious or as a bit of a, a distraction. But even when you look at the, the, the party uh, as it emerges uh, in, in, in Ireland, you know, there's, there's a lot of international dimensions to it. Mm. Uh, was there a sense maybe that this was seen as being imported politics that actually they Absolutely. were too divorced from from what was concerning Irish people on the ground and, and this idea in the press that it's a very middle class politics and it's often quite ridiculed so you have people like Christopher Fetz who's a really interesting guy English born teacher but he's the founder of the Vegetarian Society of Ireland and he's an Esperanto and to, Esperanto we talked about it before yeah, yeah. was this great idea for a, a global language that would transcend borders so you know vegetarian Esperanto speakers were, were easy enough for the press to make to make fun of and there was a belief that there was something generally quite not only hobby horse but also very very foreign uh, about about this but the party then takes this great turn in 84 uh, when it becomes it's not so much a party actually at all it's mm. much more of a broad coalition and Gwail Gore's listening in have probably picked up on this that when you when you watch Irish language po- political coverage in mm. Ireland they're not called on party glass. They're called on, co- on coaintus yeah, glass. glass. Yeah, yeah. And coaintus, of course, means uh, alliance. So it's a broad-based movement. And incredibly, the party doesn't actually have a formal leader until 2001 uh, with Trevor Sargent. So it's not your, your your normal political machine as far as Irish politics is concerned for a long, long time. Mm. And uh, of course, when you listen to uh, educa- or to election coverage as well, in fact, that's the formal name of the party. They'll go Eamon Ryan, uh, the Green Party on Covington's Gloss. So it's, it's right there, right in the title of it, that it's kind of got its its roots uh, in this kind of alliance. And it was more of a, a broad coalition in the early days than a coherent party as we understand it now. And it makes its way into the doll then in 89. And, and no one really knows how it will behave in the doll. Roger Garland uh, is, is is elected. And Garland actually gets himself expelled from the doll during a, a debate on all things on the extradition of, of, of Desi Ellis to England. Desi, of course, later a TD yeah, yeah. Uh, himself. And this green TD getting you know chucked out of the doll for, for his stand on, on this issue, it kind of sent the party into something of a panic. They declared themselves to say we're a peace party. Yeah, well, like, like you know, it said, if they were a party that were trying to stay out of the, the national question, they sort of saw themselves as going beyond that. It was an interesting uh, fight to pick, really, wasn't it? But a lot of people in, in the doll, including the Labour Party, were, were asking questions like, will, will this guy get a fair trial? Uh, in, in England. But but Garland says, you know, we're not even a nationalist party. We regard ourselves as post-nationalists. I mean, very interesting mm. choice of words. Our party doesn't look back to the War of Independence and the Civil War like most of the other parties. You know, instead, we look forward. And there was a bit of interest in them in, in the, the, the early 90s. I mean, at council level, they get uh, Trevor Sargent elected in Dublin. And he pulls this great stunt where, you know, at a council meeting, he actually waves a cheque and says, I've been sent this by a developer. Mm. Has anyone else here been sent one of these? <laughs> and it's a digging match between councillors at, at Dublin Corporation. Yeah. So people take interest in them. And I think they're regarded increasingly not just as a party that stand for the environment, but in the case of Trevor Sargent waving that cheque around a Dublin Corporation meeting, they're regarded as very closely linked to opposing bad planning. Yeah, I'd say there was a lot of people who were sweating buckets when they saw Trevor Sargent stand up with that check, wondering, all right, who else is going to be the first one to break ranks here? Um, talk to me, though, about how the Green Party then kind of entered into a certain amount of mainstream consciousness. And obviously it was Sellafield that was the, the triggering point for that. The issue of issues, and Sellafield, is a, it kind of comes back every now and then. Listeners will remember after after um, 9-11, Sellafield became a big issue uh, once again and the mm. fear that it could be, could be attacked. But Garland, the TD, really pushes Sellafield and it's the issue that the Greens become synonymous with. And then Trevor Sargent, now a, now a TD, is actually arrested at an anti-Sellafield protest in Britain in 1993. 
uh, a gang of activists to try, try to block a, a consignment of plutonium nitrate getting to Sellafield. So it's always been a bit of an issue in Irish politics, Sellafield. It comes up, you can nearly set your watch to Sellafield mm. coming up. You know, Hawhey in the 80s called for its closure. And I think you too were also very big in terms of pushing it into public prominence. Uh, they they graced the stage at this big anti-Sellafield gig in the UK. An incredible lineup, actually. Public Enemy, Kraftwerk and, and, and you too. But for, you know, for many in Ireland, you know, despite being like 60 miles away from us, it was always regarded as a kind of British environmental issue. And the Green Party were very, very important in, in making Irish people think about Sellafield in a, in a different way. Mm. Uh, that being said, though, it still seemed like it took a while for attitudes among the broader public or even among those who were filling the column inches in newspapers. They were a little slower to change their minds. Oh, yeah. I mean, when, when you only have two of them in the doll, Garland and Trevor Sargent. I mean, one... one um, political commentator says that they, quote, stole two seats off real parties, which is a, a, oh. damning, a damning indictment of, of democracy, isn't it? And, and, and the votes of people. Yeah. Before saying, you know, soon people will not only be sick and tired of hearing about Sellafield, but will actively be campaigning to have a nuclear power plant built in every backyard in Ireland. Now, that didn't quite happen in the <laughs> end. But that's the, that's the kind of stuff that's thrown at the Greens uh, throughout the 1990s. It's quite sad of you actually not to name that particular commentator because I'm sure they'd be a little bit mortified about that prediction coming back to be to be uh, reworked in 2020. Um, it's impossible to understand the current tensions within the party and this whole existential dilemma of do they go into government alongside parties they may not like without going back to the debates that they had in 2007. Yeah, and I current political debate is interested in history, but it's more recent history. And that means 2007, 2011. And famously, one uh, TD said before it that a deal with Fianna Fáil would be a deal with the devil uh, and we'd be decimated as a party. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. But I think history will record that you know there was some success in that government for the Greens in terms of planning reform on renewable en- energy, but also just the enormous tensions on issues like the carb gas pa- uh, pipeline. Mm-hmm. And that was a campaign that the party had been actively involved in at its, at its very, very height uh, and then had to walk away from. So, I mean, the, the, the memory of 2007, actually a lot of, I suppose, some of the party grassroots are too young to have a recollection of 2007, but there's also many, many survivors, people who lost their seats and ultimately became councillors or walked away from politics, who will point to 2007 as a, as a warning. Mm. Uh, we have looked at coalition in this lot previously, and particularly the history of junior partners, and it, it does bring its, with, with it some lessons and some, some warnings about how things could go again. Yes, I mean, the first coalition government of the state devoured Clan the Public, who we talked about, that that maverick party of Sean McBride and Noel Brown and others. And a listener actually got in touch with me and gave me a scalding, and he was right. He said, you know, what about Clan the Tolland, the other party that ran it? Agriculturally Mm. focused party uh, who, much like Clan, were just wiped out for a period. They're not fatally, but they lost tens of thousands of of votes. So this is the reality of Irish political history for Clan the Public, Clan the Tolland. In more recent times, you know, the Labour Party, smaller parties on entering coalition, history says, must be must be very, very, very cautious. Yeah, worth bearing in mind as well where the Green Party were after they lost all their seats in 2011. I think at that time they were left with literally just two sitting councillors and they managed to find their way mm. back again to be in good enough shape at the start of this decade. Um, I suppose what is unique about the Greens, Donal, is that they're not necessarily a party that's keeping one eye on the past all the time. They're more concerned with the future and, and of course, in their case, uniquely so. Yeah, and I think it's very difficult for them to turn down any option, uh, any possibility of entering government because of this. You know, no other party, and I'm not only talking in Ireland, but the Green movement globally, has an ideology that's kind of so rooted in urgent concerns, you know, this environmental catastrophe. And I mean, that makes it difficult to walk away. You know, if you're saying the world is going to hell in the handbasket and you're offered a seat at the table of politics, you kind of have to take it. But the Greens have come a long, long way from, you know, Roger Carland on his own 
being mocked for, for daring to raise Sellafield and the doll. And I think if you want to measure the success of, of the Greens in Ireland, I would say the, the greatest proof of success is that every party's manifesto now, you know, from mm. Fine Gael to Sinn Féin to People for Profit and anywhere you want to go across the spectrum, every party's manifesto includes green policies and green promises. So, I mean, that's maybe their greatest achievement, that they've succeeded in putting environmental issues on the political agenda at all. Mm, and we will see just how much they are on the agenda of the new government by this time next week, once we know that they are a part of it or not. Uh, Donald, as ever, uh, really timely and really fascinating stuff. Thank you for bringing us up to speed again on the modern history and the renaissance of the Green Party. Donald Fallon there, he is a historian, he is the author of the Come Here To Me books and he is the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast, which you'll find online. Thank you.